turn to God's word now. Why don't we all stand up and stretch just for a second and say hello to someone next to you? Maybe you can find your seats. We have um, we have some coffee and tea and refreshments set up outside, and after the service, you can wander out there and continue chatting with one another. As we think about the purpose of the church, one of the best passages that I know to discover what our purpose is, is the passage that we read this morning, Matthew 4, 11 to 22, especially verses 18 to 22, the story of Jesus calling his first disciples. Let me give you three reasons why I think that this passage is such a good place to discover our purpose. First, this little story in Matthew 4 immediately follows Jesus' announcement that the kingdom of heaven has come near. You might know that that message that the kingdom of heaven is breaking into human history is the heart of Jesus' gospel. And it was the first thing that Jesus announced when he came onto the scene and began his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. God is finally on the move, invading history, healing what is broken, setting all that is wrong right, bringing the promised salvation that his people have been waiting for for so long. Get ready, Jesus said. Jesus came to proclaim this good news about the kingdom. He announced its arrival, and people perk up. They open their ears. They stand on tiptoe with anticipation. What's about to happen? They look at Jesus. What will he do next? And Jesus calls some fishermen to follow him. It seems kind of anticlimactic at first, doesn't it? But we know, if we've read the rest of the story, that calling together these disciples, these followers, was absolutely central to Jesus' plan to bring in his kingdom. Calling these fishermen was so important that it was the first thing that Jesus did after he announced the good news that God's kingdom was arriving. That's the first reason that today's story is a good place to look to discover our purpose. What happens in this little story is central to the unfolding of God's kingdom. It's central to the outworking of God's great purpose for the world. The second reason that this story is a great place to look to discover our purpose, as we'll see, is that this passage summarizes what the Christian life, the life lived as followers of Jesus, is all about. The story of the calling of these first disciples explains and it illustrates how one receives this kingdom which is breaking into the world. How do you respond to the good news that God's kingdom has arrived? You do what these fishermen did. You leave behind whatever you're doing 
you follow Jesus, and he makes you into a fisher of people. We'll discuss what that means later. To be a Christian is to do in our own way today what Peter and Andrew and James and John did by the Sea of Galilee that day. Their story teaches us that to be a Christian is to let our purpose get caught up in God's purpose. It's to follow this incredible person, Jesus, who has come on the scene enacting God's purposes for the world, bringing God's own kingdom. Third reason that this story is a good place to discover our purpose, and that is because the rest of the gospel, the rest of the story about Jesus is an outworking of this story. As you continue to read the gospel story of Jesus, you read about how Jesus brings in the kingdom of God. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He casts out demons. He gives sight to the blind. He seeks and saves sinners. He teaches God's ways. And as he does it, he involves his disciples. He teaches them. He draws them close. He trains them. And they too then begin to proclaim the arrival of God's kingdom. They too begin to heal and to cast out demons. And after Jesus dies on the cross and is raised again, Jesus commands them, now you go and make disciples of all nations, right? Baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you, commanded you. As the gospel story unfolds, then we see how the disciples leave everything behind and follow Jesus, and he makes them into fishers of people. And then the book of Acts talks about their fishing expeditions. This is how the kingdom of God comes. This is how God's great purpose gets fulfilled. So to be reminded of what our purpose as a church is, let's look carefully at this little story of Jesus calling his first disciples. I'm making the assumption this morning that this little story is trying to do more than explain how four fishermen came to follow Jesus. I'm assuming that it's teaching us how we can follow Jesus too. And more than that, that through this story, we may actually hear Jesus' voice calling us to follow. I want to focus in especially on the simple but powerful words that Jesus speaks to his disciples in verse 19. Words that change everything. Words which set the lives of these four men on a new course and have done the same thing for countless others since. Even for me. And for many of you, no doubt as well. The very next words that Jesus says after he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near, are these. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Let's consider these powerful words, word by word, phrase by phrase this morning, and see if we can discover our purpose afresh. Let's start with the word me. Come, follow me. Me, Jesus says, it's about me. It's about a relationship with me. My former teacher and mentor, Daryl Johnson, has helped me to better understand this passage. And he used to say, the pronoun is the key. Me. It was common in Jesus' day for rabbis to have disciples whom they personally instructed. But a rabbi called his students not to follow himself, No, a a rabbi would say, follow Torah. 
come become a student of God's law. But not Jesus, though. He calls his disciples. He tells them, follow me. That's because the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus came to inaugurate, is not primarily a a lofty concept or an ethical system or a grand vision or a political agenda or some sort of vague spiritual influence. We're not quite sure what it is. No, the kingdom of heaven is primarily a person and his influence in our lives and in the world. The kingdom of heaven is about the king of heaven. Jesus Christ and his reign and our relationship with him. Richard Halverson, the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate, I believe he might have spoke here once. He used to say Christianity began on Palestinian soil as a relationship with a person. It moved to Greek soil and it became a philosophy. It moved to Roman soil and it became an institution. It moved to British soil and it became a culture. It moved to American soil, and it became an enterprise. (laughs) But Jesus came to invite us into a relationship with himself. Now, the fact that we can have a real relationship with Jesus makes Christianity both dynamic and threatening. You know, before I married Anne, marriage was something I was interested in. I had been a psychology major in college, and I was interested in relationships. I'd read a fair bit about marriage. I knew some of the the principles that made a good marriage work. But when I married Anne, it was a whole new ballgame. Because now marriage was about a real, live, breathing person. This made it dynamic and wonderful, but it also made it threatening. Because I was no longer in complete control. When marriage had just been thoughts and principles and visions, I could control those. But when marriage became a person with opinions and a will and emotions, you you never knew what might happen next. (laughs) Following Jesus is that way. He's a real person. You don't know what he might do next. You're not in control, but at least it's seldom boring. It's dynamic and exciting, fulfilling. Next words to focus on. Follow me. Literally, Jesus says, here, behind me. This is a technical phrase. It's a phrase which describes an ancient disciple's relationship with his rabbi. As we've said, many rabbis had disciples. They had apprentices or students who they would learn the Torah from. And in that culture, it was common for disciples to live with their teachers and to follow them around and to do life together. But what's unique about Jesus' relationship with his disciples is that Jesus initiates the relationship. Rabbis didn't normally recruit disciples. Just like colleges today don't normally recruit students unless you're a football star or something. Of course, they send out lots of advertising materials to everyone, but but then it's the students who have to take the initiative to find a school based on their shopping list, a school that will fulfill what they're looking for. That's what students did back then, too. They would seek out a rabbi who could help them to reach their educational aims. 
But not so with Jesus. He went seeking his students. He took the initiative. He set the agenda for them. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't like being a disciple in any other setting. You don't come to Jesus because he fulfills your educational or personal agenda. No, he calls you to come so that he can fulfill his agenda, his purpose, in and through you. Let me put it another way. Church isn't just something that we do. Church is something that is being done to us by God. Have you ever thought about that? You know, there's so much talk in the circles that I travel in as a pastor about how to do church, how to build a church. But the truth is that Jesus is the one who's building his church, right? God is the one who has gathered us together. We who are sitting here in this room this morning are the evidence that something far bigger than us is going on. In some way or another, Jesus has spoken to the hearts of of many of us in this room and said, come, follow me here behind me. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he call us to follow him? He did it because he loves us. And he did it because he has a purpose for us. I like to use a triangle to uh, picture the church's purpose. It's simple and I find it helpful. And as we continue to work our way through verse 19, I want to hang what we learn from this passage on the three points of this triangle. The first point of the triangle is the up point. We've already been talking about this part. It's our upward relationship with Jesus and God. Come follow me, Jesus says. Enter into a relationship with me. Be my disciple. Be my apprentice. Be my Padawan. As I like to tell my kids who are Star Wars crazy. We may not literally follow Jesus around the dusty streets of Palestine like Jesus' first disciples did, but nevertheless, Jesus' call to us, his purpose for us to follow him is just as real. Let me quote uh, Daryl Johnson again. Listen carefully to these really profound words. He says, wherever you are in life, in your career, in your relationships, in your social involvements, you should be able to say, I am here because I follow Jesus here. Can you say that? Are you following? What's coming up that maybe you need to follow Jesus into? Matthew also makes it clear in this story that to follow Jesus, there are things that we have to leave behind. Matthew is very intentional in the way he tells this story. First, he tells us about Peter and Andrew, and he remarks that they immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. Then he tells us about James and John, and he remarks with identical language, it's identical in the original Greek, that they immediately left their boat and their father and followed Jesus. Notice the repetition. Two stories to drum home the same point. To follow Jesus means to leave behind nets. It means to leave behind boats and father. Jesus is, or Matthew is making the point that 
This is the only sane response to the invitation that Jesus gives. To leave nets and boat, vocation, jobs, livelihood, wealth. To leave father, family, heritage, tradition. To leave by by giving up, by letting go, by relinquishing the control as to the priority of these things to follow Jesus. Because you can't follow Jesus and be his disciple until you leave everything behind. And if you ever come back to what you've left behind, and and you may well come back, it will be because Jesus has led you back there. But why would these men do this? Why would they leave the security and the familiarity of their lives and strike out with Jesus? How could this be the same thing to do? Answer, because of what Jesus said first. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of heaven, the new creation, the restoration of all things, the undoing of sin and death, the arrival of God's presence and reign, the outworking of God's best intention, God's best purposes for the world. It's at hand. It's near. It's breaking in. In Jesus. He's the King. Do you want to be in on it? Then follow me, Jesus says. Have you ever driven in a thick fog at night? I've driven in a fog so thick that I couldn't see 10 feet in front of me. And I couldn't see the road. I was totally dependent on the taillights of the car in front of me. Have you ever been in that place? So I just followed those lights. But then as I'm driving, maybe you've thought this too. I started to wonder, how does that guy know where he's going, right? (laughs) Am I going to follow him to destruction? That's the question we have to ask as we consider this upward dimension of our lives. This moral, spiritual part. How am I finding my way? Am I following anyone? And is the one I'm following trustworthy? Does the one I'm following really know how to bring in the kingdom of heaven? If he does, then we can follow him anywhere, leaving everything else behind and leaving it up to him. All right, let's move on to the next of Jesus' words in verse 19. Fishers of people. Here we move from the upward dimension of our purpose to the outward dimension. And here we discover more of Rabbi Jesus' purpose for us in calling us to be his disciples. He wants to make us into fishers of people. This must have been penetrating language for those four fishermen. I mean, it wasn't religious language. It was common, practical, down-to-earth language. These guys weren't theologians. They were fishermen. And fishermen know fishing. And Jesus promised to make them into fishers of people. I wonder what language Jesus would have used if he was calling you today. If you're a teacher or a banker or a student, an engineer, a parent... Come, follow me, and I'll make you into a teacher who will prepare people to pass the ultimate test. Come, follow me, and I'll make you into a banker who makes eternal investments. 
Come, follow me, and I'll make you into an engineer who helps re-engineer the very structures of reality. Come, follow me, and I'll make you into a student who brings other students to the real teacher. Come, follow me, and I'll make you into a parent with many spiritual children. The point is that no sooner has Jesus called disciples to himself that he has called them to think outward beyond themselves. Commentator Dale Bruner comments, Notice that in this, the gospel's first evangelistic encounter, Jesus calls two men not to an experience of their own personal salvation, but to a ministry with others. He does not say, follow me and I will save your souls. His promise is not their salvation, but others' salvation. The gospel call from Jesus isn't just, come follow me. It's, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Jesus doesn't just call us upward back to God. He does that and we're grateful for it. He also calls us, though, outward toward others. Jesus doesn't just call us into his salvation. He also calls us into his mission. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then he began gathering followers who would not only enter that kingdom, but would also invite others to enter it as well. In other words, the kingdom of God, the Christian life, is never just about ourselves. Jesus saved us because he loves us. Oh, yes. And he also saves us because he loves others. And he intends to teach us to do the same. To quote Daryl Johnson again, he asks, does this mean that if I'm not influencing other people, I'm not following Jesus? Answer, yes, it does. You see, I can be a fan of Jesus Christ. I can be an advocate of Jesus Christ. I can worship Jesus Christ. But if I am a disciple, then I'm going to be influencing other people for Jesus. That's what Jesus says. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Now, before we get off track here, let's quickly get on to our next few words. Notice what Jesus says. He says, I will make you into fishers of people. I will make you. It's not your job to screw up your evangelistic fervor and, and somehow to make yourself into a more contagious Christian. To maybe with a painted on cheesy smile for Jesus and a big fat Bible. No, I will make you, Jesus says. Jesus is the master influencer. He knows how to positively and powerfully influence other people in a way which brings the kingdom of God into their lives. Doesn't he know? Yeah. And if we follow Jesus, if we stay close to him over time, he will teach us how. We're back to the upward dimension again. Hang around Jesus and he will change you. Hang around Jesus, follow him, and he will make you more compassionate and more loving. Hang around Jesus, draw close to him, and he will cause your heart to break for all who are broken 
in the world. Hang around Jesus, really follow him, and you will come to want others to know him and follow him too. Hang around Jesus and you will learn how to sense when God is already at work in someone's life and and to play a role and, and to participate in some way in speaking into that situation. Hang around Jesus and you'll learn how to fish like you never thought you could fish. Do you know Luke's version of this story of Jesus calling the disciples? Peter and Andrew had fished all night and they caught nothing. And Jesus tells them to put their nets out into the deep water. And, and they know they'll never catch anything out there. They're expert fishermen. But Jesus says so, so they, they do it. And what happens? They catch more fish than their nets can hold. They're astounded. Then Jesus says, in effect, you think that's something. Come follow me and I will catch you or I will teach you to fish like that for people. You see, Jesus knows where the fish are. And Jesus really means to win the world to himself. He really means to bring in the kingdom of heaven. And he wants to use us. And he'll teach us how. It may take some some time, but if we stay close to him, he will teach us how. We just have to follow him and keep following. Now a note about fishing for people. Uh, The analogy of fishing doesn't work for some of us today probably. I know personally I find fishing kind of boring because I never catch anything. And fishing for people conjures up images of of slyly lying in wait for the right moment to to hook someone when they least expect it. And and then we drag them into the kingdom and they're flopping around and so we beat them over the head with a big Bible until they get saved. And, And then... We hold them up like a trophy and we take a picture to brag about later when we get to church. Don't read that much into it. Don't, don't stretch the fishing analogy to the point of painfulness. Jesus just used the analogy of fishing because he was talking to fishermen. And if you want to know what Jesus meant by fishing for people, just look at how he, he lived his life. Jesus just genuinely loved people. He cared for their needs. He listened to his father's voice and he said what God gave him to say. He, he let people walk away who weren't interested. And he rejoiced and embraced those who drew close. There was no coercion. There were no gimmicks. There was no slick bait and switch involved. And if we follow Jesus, he'll teach us to fish like he did in a way that fits uniquely who he's made us to be. All right, let's move on to our last word now. It's the word you. I will make you into fishers of people. The you is plural. If Jesus had been in the South, he would have said y'all. If Jesus had grown up in Scranton where I grew up, he would have said you guys. (laughs) When Jesus talked about fishing, he was not talking about a solo sport. Peter fished with his brother Andrew. James and John fished with their father Zebedee. Fishing involved boats. It involved heavy nets. You couldn't do it alone. And the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone either. That's the third point of the triangle, the inward purpose of the church. 
We exist as a community. And in these few short verses in our story, Jesus calls together a community. He proclaims the arrival of the kingdom of heaven and he promptly forms a community around him, the first church. They follow Jesus together. They fish for people together. Each has different gifts to contribute, right? And we in North America have become so individualistic. We have some seriously bad habits to unlearn as God's people, as followers of Jesus. In fact, if you read the rest of the New Testament, it becomes clear that you can't follow Jesus by yourself. You can't fish for people by yourself. You can't get made into a fisher of people by yourself. These are all group activities. Even when Jesus sent his disciples out like sheep among wolves, he at least sent them out two by two. When Paul went on his missionary journeys, he never went out alone. He, he had Silas or, or Barnabas or John Mark or Timothy or Luke or Priscilla or Aquila or Erastus or Trophimus or Demas, etc. Why do we think we can follow Christ alone or reach out alone? I can't influence others for Jesus very well without you. And... You need me. We need each other. We each have different gifts to contribute. I think of that passage in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, which has meant so much to CBC over the years. The last verse, verse 16 says, From Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Boy, could we use some more ligaments to hold us together so that we can build one another up. As I follow Christ and you follow Christ, Christ teaches you through me and teaches me through you, and we use our gifts together to reach out together. So what's the church's purpose? Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. It's very simple. Grow up into Jesus. And he will make us into people who reach out to others. And we don't do it alone. We do it in community together. Let's pray. Jesus, your words are loving. They're powerful. They're transformative. They're compelling. And yet, to a people like us who are so used to being independent and relying on ourselves, they can be terrifying as well. I pray that your sweetness and your goodness would so flow through our hearts that you'd put our hearts at rest and that we would know that the best, sanest decision we can make in our lives day by day is to let go of everything else and to follow you. Jesus, help us to know you and make us into fishers of people together. Amen.